We turn in God's inspired word this evening to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, recording Stephen's defense prior to his being put to death. Lengthy chapter, but we're going to take the time this evening to read the entire chapter. And bear in mind the setting, the Jews raised up false witnesses against Stephen which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Acts 7, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Charon. And said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans, and dwelt in Charon, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on, Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil four hundred years, and the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God, And after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction. Our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first, and at the second time Joseph was made known to his brethren, And Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Sychem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Imor, the father of Sychem. When the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live, in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months 
And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Median, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush, When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled, and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out. After that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel that spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, which brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and offered sacrifice unto the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Molech, and the star of your god Rimphan, figures which he made to worship them, and I will carry you beyond Babylon. 
Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus, that is Joshua, into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Now our text to the end of the chapter. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this evening on this occasion of commemorating the ascension of our Lord and Savior, we consider a text that might easily be overlooked as reflecting upon the tremendous blessing that is ours in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The story of Acts 7 is quite familiar, that of the martyrdom of Stephen, his being put to death for the testimony of Jesus Christ that he bore. Stephen, you might remember, was one of the first deacons in the New Testament church. He didn't serve long as a deacon. God's purpose for him was not a lengthy term as a deacon, nor a lengthy life. God's purpose was that Stephen would leave his mark upon the church throughout history 
as a martyr. Acts 6 denotes Stephen as a man full of faith and power who did great wonders and miracles among the people. But such a man, in whom was the spirit of the living God, was soundly rejected by the unbelieving Jews. We learn in Acts 6 that when they could not resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spoke, then they suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And so Stephen was taken to the council, to the Sanhedrin, and put on trial. The trial of Stephen was obviously governed by God himself. God so worked that he silenced the Sanhedrin long enough to give Stephen the opportunity to unfold the gospel from the entire history of the Old Testament, showing the fulfillment of the promise in the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave Stephen that opportunity, recorded also for the blessing of the church throughout history, that those present might clearly show not merely what they thought about Stephen and his sermon, but what they thought of the Christ. For Stephen's proclamation of the mediator of the covenant, God's Christ, he was to become the first martyr of the Christian faith in the early New Testament church, the first of multitudes throughout the years. At that moment, surrounded by those who rejected the Christ, Stephen would stand unaccompanied by any fellow believers. But God gave him to see that he was not alone. The ascended Christ was present. God gave Stephen to see him and to testify of his presence. So in this text, we hear the martyr's witness of the ascended Christ. As we consider these closing verses of Acts chapter 7, we are given to see, first of all, a terrible situation. Secondly, an exalted Savior. And finally, a sure deliverance. The martyr's witness of the ascended Christ. A terrible situation. An exalted Savior. And a sure deliverance. The text stands out in the midst of a terrible situation. God's servant stands in the midst of it, the object of hatred and attack. Stephen himself is not caught up in the thoughts of how terrible the situation was. He gave expression to a peace that passes all understanding. But I must call attention in my first point to the background upon which this martyr will be given to see the glory of God and Jesus standing at God's right hand. 
Verse 54 might easily be understood as the conclusion of Stephen's sermon. The word says in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed upon him with their teeth. God had given Moses, given Stephen time to unfold the gospel, the gospel message set forth in the Old Testament, the significance of the law and the temple, time to expose the hardness of heart of those who rejected the word of God until now his time was up. But the fact is, the verb forms used in verse 54 describe what was happening while Stephen was preaching. The word, by the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, was having its effect. And we realize that the Spirit is the one who opens the heart by the preaching of the gospel and works faith by that means, but we must not forget that he is also the one who sovereignly works another effect, that of hardening. No person who is brought under the preaching of the word of God, the preaching of the gospel, leaves unaffected. Here the effect of that preaching was raging hostility. They were cut to the heart. God's word flayed open their hearts to reveal the intense hatred that burned inside. I say again, this was occurring all through his sermon. As Stephen unfolded the history of the Old Testament, he had shown the members of the Sanhedrin that they had completely misunderstood the gospel revealed in the Old Testament. They had blinded their eyes to the true meaning of the law, of Moses himself, and of the promise proclaimed by Moses, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you. Like unto me, him shall ye hear, They had refused to see that the temple was but a shadow of what it symbolized and represented. God dwelling with his people in a tabernacle not made with hands, the eternal Son of God become flesh. Stephen pointed to the refusal of a multitude of Jews throughout history to receive and obey that word of God. And the word that Stephen preached cut them to the heart. But there was no bending in humility before that word preach, no bowing before the law as indication of a contrite heart and true repentance. That word could only serve as a razor-sharp blade penetrating their stiff and hard hearts, cutting them in two. And the evidence of that effect upon them 
was that they gnashed upon him with their teeth. Their jaws became tense. They began to tune him out. Their teeth were grinding in anger. I say again, the verb form reveals that this was happening throughout Stephen's exposition of the Word of God. But they sat there. They could do no otherwise. God was in control of the situation. He would give his servant the full time necessary for what had to be said. Now one thing we should not forget in our consideration of what is taking place and what the Bible reveal is what the Bible reveals about Stephen. As he was taken before the council, we are told in the last verse of Acts chapter 6, and all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. You remember that the face of Moses had such an appearance when he came down Mount Sinai after having been in the presence of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. God himself testified to all present here that Stephen his faithful servant was indeed a faithful witness of the law and the prophets. Indeed, that God himself would give him what to speak in this hour of his need. Such is the authority that Stephen would bear, the authority of the very King of kings and Lord of lords whom he represented and on whose behalf he preached. But this faithful servant of the Lord, looking upon those to whom he had been given opportunity to preach, could only see the hatred of their hearts coming to expression in their faces. It would erupt at any moment, and it would cost him his life. So he knew that he was nearing the conclusion of his opportunity when he said with all boldness, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. Mind you, he was addressing religious Jews. Those who knew the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, through and through, who knew well that more than once Jehovah had spoken through Moses, say unto the children of Israel, 
Ye are a stiff-necked people. And here's Stephen, with face shining like that of an angel, was speaking to them the same way. He was doing so, being full of the Holy Ghost, under the inspiration, that is, of the Spirit of the exalted Christ. He was speaking to those who were steeped in the law and the worship of God, circumcised according to the law given to Abraham, and who had already clearly shown their rejection of the gospel in the crucifixion of the Messiah sent from God. Stephen called them uncircumcised in heart and ears. In other words, they were thinking and hearing and behaving like the unbelievers they were. The truth of God was not in their hearts. The the hearing of the word of God could not be heard by them with spiritual ears. And implied is the truth that before one can come to a knowledge of the truth, he has to have a new heart. He has to be given a spiritual understanding. It's the same truth the Apostle Paul would later proclaim in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And because these religious Jews whom Stephen addressed were such a people, stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, it followed that whenever they were confronted by the word of truth, this is what Stephen said, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, As your fathers did, so do ye. That tells us we are not passive when it comes to hearing God's word. There is a terrible and malicious activity in the rejection of God's truth. The idea of resisting the Holy Spirit is not one of the Holy Spirit earnestly trying to save them, but being unable to do so because of their resistance. We've spoken already of the sovereign and irresistible work of the Spirit in saving God's people, but also his sovereign work in hardening by the same preaching of the gospel by which he's pleased to work salvation. The idea, therefore, of resisting the Holy Spirit is that they wage war against him. And because they cannot lay hold of him, they persecuted the prophets and became the murderers of those who proclaim the coming of the just one. Stephen knew, therefore, that as he proclaimed God's truth, 
he would be their next victim. As Stephen himself is the focal point in this terrible situation, as he is about to have his life taken from him as a martyr, we read that he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Stephen was given to see the exalted Savior, the ascended Lord Jesus, standing on the right hand of God. Do you think perhaps that ascension is not so important for us? Do you think there really isn't any reason to commemorate Ascension Day, to gather in worship for an event that's so little observed by the Christian church in our day? I want you to see this martyr's testimony of the ascended Christ. The day might come, after all, when you are standing before such terrible events as did Stephen, and when you are given to see the significance of Christ's ascension in this way. Remember, there was no earthly help present for Stephen. He had no friends in the courtroom, so to speak, He had no one to to defend him before his false accusers and the judges and people who were ready to kill him. There's a stark contrast set before us in this text. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed upon him with their teeth. But on the other side stands one full of the Holy Spirit. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up. He looked up. He looked up steadfastly into heaven. Why did he do that? Because he was different. That difference wasn't a natural difference. It wasn't that all the members of the council and those present were madmen, hotheads, and that Stephen was just a meek, mild-mannered man. You don't become a Christian because of your temperament or because you have certain qualities that others don't have. The difference is this. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. The Christian is produced by the Holy Spirit, worked in by the Holy Spirit, given faith by the Holy Spirit, receives the gospel by the Holy Spirit, applying it to his or her heart, and thus is led by the Holy Spirit. Those who sought to kill him fought against the Holy Spirit. Because that's what the sinner does. 
The carnal mind is enmity against God. But Stephan was filled with the Holy Spirit. But here, his being full of the Holy Spirit speaks of more than the wonder of the Spirit's work in his life. It speaks of more than what the Spirit gave Stephan on this occasion during his entire discourse of the Old Testament Scriptures as the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What the text is telling us is that in this moment, the Holy Spirit gave him to see what the natural eyes cannot see. There are times, I've seen it at the side of a person's deathbed on a couple of occasions, where it appears that God might give one of his dying children a glimpse into heaven before taking that last breath. I've seen a couple times dying saints speak of seeing the brilliance of glory, of seeing angels just before the Lord took them to heaven. It's very possible. Those are not merely hallucinations, but God affirming the hope of glory. But Stephen was given by the Spirit to see into heaven. And there we are told he saw the glory of God. The glory of God is the brilliance of heaven. That Stephen was given to see the glory of God does not mean that he was given a glimpse of God himself. John 1 verse 18 tells us that no man has seen God at any time. 1 Timothy 6 verse 16 points us to Christ, the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Stephen was given to see the glory of God that radiates from the face of Jesus Christ and which permeates the dwelling place of the Most High. He was given to see that glory that awaited him, even as John would later be given to see the glory of the bride, the Lamb's wife, in Revelation 21, verses 10 and 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious. And he goes on to describe the beauty of the bride. Christ redeemed and glorified church. She reflects the glory, the light of God's glory, her Redeemer. Stephen, as he was about to be martyred for the testimony of the gospel, 
was given by the Holy Spirit to see that glory, the glory of which he would soon partake. But besides seeing the glory of God, he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And seeing that, he was compelled to speak and to testify of what he was seeing. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. He saw the ascended Lord, the Son of Man, the eternal Son of God in human nature. He saw him who was standing to come to the aid of his servant Stephen. That ascended Lord Jesus had spoken to his disciples while he still walked among them, and his word was preserved for us, John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Christ reigns as the incarnate Son of God, God become flesh to save us. Christ reigns in that human nature in which he was rejected and abused and murdered by men. He has ascended to take his place at God's right hand, having laid down his life for his own, taking his place at God's right hand denotes the esteem that he has with God. To him has been given honor and glory and majesty and authority as the Son of Man. We have our flesh in heaven angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. 1 Peter 3, verse 22. To him is given all power in heaven and on earth, also all power to lead his people to glory. It is as the ascended Christ that he sends his spirit to seal his promise upon our hearts. He sends us his spirit to use the language of our Heidelberg Catechism in the 49th answer, by whose power we seek the things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. But in Stephen's case, this vision of the ascended Lord standing at God's right hand, looking upon the scene, and specifically upon his faithful servant, was a testimony to Stephen that Jesus, who had come to save his people from their sins, 
was now ready to receive him unto himself. This entire event had been in his hands. The calling and gifts that Stephen had been given came from him. The privilege to bear the testimony of his Lord and Savior had been given him by his ascended Lord and that for the particular time frame that now was to see its end in his transition to glory. And for Stephen, being given to see the Son of Man standing at God's right hand was the comfort and strength that he needed as he looked up. He was not left to himself in this hour of his need. Nor are you. For in the ascended Lord Christ, we have an high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, who knows our needs, The martyr's witness of the ascended Christ is the witness of a sure deliverance. When we speak in our concluding point this evening of a sure deliverance, let's remember the theme of the sermon. The text speaks of the martyr's witness of the ascended Christ. That means, you understand, that our sure deliverance isn't always a deliverance from death, but through death. Stephen's closing remarks, his testimony of what he was given by the Spirit to see of the glory of God and the Son of Man standing at God's right hand, was more than his enemies could take. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. Stephen will no longer be remembered, first of all, as one of the first deacons. He will not be remembered by the Bible's description of him as a man full of the Holy Ghost, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. He will not be remembered, first of all, for the great wonders and miracles that he performed. He will be remembered first as a martyr, the first martyr in the early New Testament church. There will be many, many more who follow him. Several of Jesus' own disciples would die the martyr's death. And throughout the century, there have been countless others, most of whose names are lost to history, but their names are known to God, every one of them. The ascended Lord stood to receive them into glory. The strength that Stephen received 
from seeing his Jesus standing on God's right hand was a strength seen in his dying. While his enemies were stoning him, he was praying, calling upon God. He looked to his Lord Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But seeing that ascended Lord as his intercessor with the Father, Stephen closed with an intercessory prayer for others. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Mind you, he's praying for those who show themselves his enemies, his murderers. He isn't praying for everyone. He knows that for God not to lay that sin to their charge, the same Jesus would have to stand in their place before the Father. Stephen is praying, therefore, that God might be pleased to save any of his own from among that multitude. You notice when we read the chapter, there's a mention of one man, one young man by name. That reference is found in verse 58, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. That Saul, you boys and girls remember, became the apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus. God would answer Stephen's prayer. in the salvation of Saul of Tarsus. We must also see in the ascended Lord Jesus the witness of our sure deliverance. We don't know the way in which God will lead us. But gazing up to heaven and seeing by faith our Lord Jesus standing on God's right hand, we may know that all things are in his hands. He's triumphed over his enemies, over death itself. He now reigns till all his enemies be made his footstool. Hebrews 10, verse 13. He's the Lord of history. The Lord of the church the Lord of your life and mine. We don't know the way that God has marked out for us or the trials that we might face, but we know that we too shall face death. Looking at Jesus, our ascended Lord Jesus, we too can face death, as did Stephen. No matter the way he leads, our Savior is always with us, also through death. The victory is ours. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, was Stephen's prayer. So it may be ours. Stephen saw him.
By faith, we see him too. Stephen saw him, and he fell asleep. The perfect peace marked by death is true only for the Christian. Death brings perfect peace because we belong to him in whom alone is peace, the ascended Lord Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, make us aware daily of the grace Thou hast given us in the ascension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.